So we're preaching through Luke's gospel here Saturday afternoons. We've just seen Jesus celebrate the Lord's Supper, and now he knows that his disciples are about to be severely tested and tempted. He knows that they are going to see him, Jesus, arrested, beaten, tormented, nailed to a cross, die. They're going to see that. And not only that, but they know that Satan himself is going to try to use this to destroy their faith. And so, in Luke 22, verses 31 to 38, Jesus gives his disciples five truths to help them resist the temptations that they're about to face. Five truths. And they're not just for the disciples. They're true for us, his disciples. So let's look at Luke 22, 31 to 38. And I want to mention in the first two verses, you're going to want to notice, and I think we've got it up on the, yeah, we do. There it is. Okay, good. The word you, Y-O-U, in the English is ambiguous. It can either mean you, one person, or you, a group of people. In the Greek, it's clear. And so I went ahead and just made a note so that you'll know it's very important to notice this in these first two verses, whether the word you is to an individual, Simon Peter, or whether it's to all the disciples or about all the disciples. So follow along with me. I'm going to read verse 31 through 38. Jesus starts by focusing on Simon Peter. Verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, plural you, all you disciples. Satan demanded to have all of you disciples that he might sift you, all of you, like wheat. But I have prayed for you, singular you. I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you, Simon, have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. Then he quotes from Isaiah 53. Here's the prophecy. And he, the Messiah, was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Five crucial truths to help them resist temptation. The first truth is this. They need to understand that God will let Satan try to make their faith fail. God will let Satan try to make their faith fail. Verse 31 and 32, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, all you disciples, 
that he might sift you, all of you, like wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon Peter, that your faith may not fail. And when you, Simon Peter, have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus here tells Simon Peter that Satan has asked permission from God to try to sift the faith out of the disciples. Bring trials, difficulties, sift their faith so that they're sift their faith so that it's gone. It gets destroyed. His aim is to tempt them so severely that their faith fails. Now, notice what this means. One truth I want to make sure you get is this means that Satan has to ask God permission to do what he does. Don't ever get the idea that God and Satan are like equally powerful and they're just kind of warring together. Not at all. God's like way up there and Satan's way down here, much less power. And he has to ask God permission. Satan can't do anything that God doesn't permit him to do. Just like we see in Job chapter 1 and chapter 2. We see the same thing here. This also shows us that there are times when God, in his love for us and his flawless wisdom, allows Satan to try to make our faith fail. This is so important to get. Let me just say that again. There are times when God, in his flawless wisdom, his overflowing love for us, allows Satan to try to make our faith fail. And that's exactly what was going to happen to Peter, Simon Peter. In a few hours, Peter was going to be tempted to deny Christ. And he would sin and deny Christ three times. And Satan was hoping to take advantage of that by pouring out such hopelessness then upon Peter, such a sense of failure upon Peter, such despair upon Peter that it would crush and destroy his faith. That's what Satan was hoping for. So Jesus wants Peter to understand God will allow Satan to try to destroy his faith, try to make his faith fail. And Jesus wants us to understand this as well. Do you understand this about God? In love and in wisdom, he will at times let Satan try to make your faith fail. Satan could try to make your faith fail tonight, tomorrow, this next week. Jesus wants Peter to understand that. He wants us to understand that. He might do this to you by bringing you a great trial into your life, like losing your job this week. Or he might do this by bringing you great prosperity, bringing you a huge promotion this week. He doesn't care as long as he can draw you from Christ, whatever it takes. Maybe it's a picture you're looking at on the computer. Maybe it's a friend who's influencing you. Maybe it's a, it's a hobby that you think is harmless. Whatever will draw you away from Jesus Christ as your greatest joy and treasure which would show that your faith is starting to fail. That's what Satan's up to. And so Jesus warns Peter about this so that Peter will be watchful and ready. And Jesus warns us about this so that we will be watchful and ready. Grace Church, 
Are you watchful? Are you alert? Are you sober-minded? Are you aware of what's happening in the world and what Satan's up to and what God in his love and mercy might allow Satan to do? Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 says that Satan is like a prowling lion seeking whom he may devour. What if you heard that there were lions, hungry lions, loose in Abu Dhabi, Sadiat, MBZ, Khalifa City, wherever you live? Wouldn't you be a bit more alert when you walk out to your car or when you're going into Lulu's? Wouldn't you? Church, wouldn't you? Absolutely. And God in his love for us warns us that there will be times when he allows Satan to try to destroy our faith, to sift the faith out of our hearts. That's the first truth. Let's understand this. God will let Satan try to make your faith fail. Second truth. This is so encouraging. Because Jesus prays for Simon, his, Simon's faith won't fail. And he will turn back to Christ. Okay, that's verse 32. Jesus says, talking to Simon, but I've prayed for you, singular you, Simon, I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you, Simon, have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus is saying, Peter, Satan is being allowed to make your faith fail, but I am not leaving you alone. I have prayed for you. I've been praying for you, Peter, which means your faith won't fail, and you will turn back to me. And think about it. Maybe that early that morning, Before dawn, Jesus had been up, maybe walking in the hills, crying out, Father, Father, Satan's going to try to cause Peter's faith to fail. Father, strengthen him. Father, encourage him. Lord, you've chosen him for salvation. Don't let his faith fail, Father. I plead with you. So Jesus is praying for Peter that his faith would not fail. And just imagine with me that, that you were Peter, and there you were, this is hours later, and you were being tempted to deny Jesus, fearful for maybe losing your life or whatever it might mean, and, and three times you publicly denied Jesus, even with a curse. I don't know him! And then, imagine you're Peter, and you hear the, the rooster crow, and you see what you've done. And you feel the despair come upon you and the deep regrets and the sense of failure and and you feel it crushing your faith. Can you imagine if you were Peter at that moment? But then you remember, wait, Jesus said, he's prayed for me that my faith would not fail, that I will turn back All I need to do is repent and turn back to him. Oh, Jesus, forgive me. I'm back. I'm sorry. I repent. Think of the power that that truth of Jesus having prayed for him would have brought about in his life. 
And what Jesus does for Peter in praying for him is what Jesus does for each of us in praying for us. Because you're trusting Jesus as your your Savior, as your Lord, you're, you're seeking to be fully submitted to him, as your treasure, you want him more than anything else. Because you're trusting Jesus as your Savior, your Lord, your treasure, you know you're saved. Which means Jesus prays for you. Did you know that? Jesus prays for you that your faith will not fail. Jesus prays for you that your faith will not fail. We can see this in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. It'd be a great verse for you to memorize. Hebrews 7, 25. Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Making intercession is another word of way to describe praying. So Jesus is always praying for you. He's praying that your faith will not fail. Did you know that? He's praying for that. And Jesus always prays according to God's will. Because Jesus himself is fully God. So he's always praying according to God's will. So when he asks the Father not to let your faith fail, your faith will not fail. You will turn back to him in repentance. You will be forgiven. You will be cleansed. You will be restored. Because your Jesus is praying for you. Oh, saint, take heart at this. This is such good news. Now, we have to ask the question, I mean, I can just turn back and I'm going to be forgiven? I mean, I've denied Jesus three times and I can turn back and I'll be forgiven? Yes, Peter, and yes, saint. No matter what you've done, you can turn back, repent, and be forgiven. How? Why? Just like Pastor Josh was saying earlier, it's through the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he was paying, being punished for, all the sins of all those who trust him. And turning back to Jesus shows that you're trusting him. And so you can be absolutely assured that when you turn back, no matter what you've done, when you turn back, you'll be completely forgiven and restored. So let this encourage you. Jesus prays for you. The Bible says nothing about saints in heaven praying for you or about Mary in heaven praying for you. The Bible says nothing along those lines. What the Bible says is that Jesus is in heaven praying for you. And if you have Jesus in heaven praying for you, you are set when it comes to people in heaven praying for you. Do you understand that? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, And by the way, he's not just praying for you as a group. He's praying for you. You. How can he do that? He's God. He can pray for you always, and you too, and you too, and you too, and and all of us. He's praying for you. He loves you. And so even though you will sin, your faith will not fail. 
and you will always return to Jesus. I just feel impressed at this point to raise this question. Have you sinned and not returned to Jesus? Have you drifted towards sin and just you're still drifting towards sin? Let me impress upon you that the way you'll know Jesus has been praying for you and that your faith will not fail is because you return to Jesus. That's how you can tell you've been saved. If we're drifting, we can't be sure. But when we return, we can be 100% sure. The way you know you've been saved and that God's going to keep you all the way on the road to heaven is because you're returning. If, if anybody here has been drifting towards sin and you've not turned back yet, I want to plead with you to wake up to what's happening and to turn back. Fall at Jesus' feet and say, my Lord and my God, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. And then you'll know Jesus was praying for me. That's why my faith did not fail. That's why I turned back. But understand, be encouraged by this truth because Jesus prays for us. Our faith will not fail and we will turn back. That's the second truth. The third truth Jesus calls Simon to strengthen his brothers. Verse 32, he says, But I've prayed for you, singular Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you, Simon, have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now Jesus is focusing on Simon here because he knows that Simon's faith is going to be severely tested when he denies Christ three times. And when he does deny Christ three times, he wants Peter to remember, remember Peter, Jesus has prayed that his faith would not fail. And you will turn back. And all he has to do is turn back to Jesus in repentance and he will be restored and forgiven. But that's not all Jesus wants Peter to do. When Peter turns back and is restored, then he wants Peter to strengthen his brothers. Strengthen your brothers, Peter. Why? It's because Satan's also going to try to sift their faith out of them. Satan's also going to try to do that to the rest of the disciples. And Jesus is going to use Peter to strengthen their faith so it won't fail. Jesus wants Peter and all of us to understand that your strengthening of a brother, your strengthening of a sister will be used by God to keep their faith from failing. You're strengthening of them. You can see this in James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Look at what James says here. It's kind of a shocking verse, but look at this. He says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So picture a brother or sister wandering from Christ. And that, that's happened, right? COVID has, we, there's all, we all have brothers and sisters who we're not seeing quite as much anymore. How are they doing? Are they wandering? We should be alert to these things and love and care for them and and reach out to them as best we can. 
I'm going to draw them back. And James tells us that if we bring back a brother or sister who's wandered from the faith, we've saved their soul from death. Now that, that doesn't mean physical death because we're all going to die physically. That means eternal death. If we bring a brother or sister, a wandering brother or sister back, we've saved their soul from eternal death. Now let, me, let me try to explain that. The Bible is very clear that no saved person can lose their salvation. No saved person can ever lose their salvation. Every saved person will be in heaven. But what James is saying is this. One way that God keeps people from losing their salvation is by having others, you, reach out to them and strengthen their faith when they start to wander. That's one of the ways God keeps us on the road to heaven. One of the ways he keeps us persevering in the faith. Eternal security is a community effort. Us loving each other, caring for each other, encouraging each other. That's why Jesus says to Peter, Peter, when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. So just look at the people around you here. Let's get tangible about this. Go ahead, look, look at them, okay? Okay? Here we are. One of the ways Jesus could keep their faith from failing is through you strengthening them. Us right here. This is what church life is about. We love each other. We care for each other. We commit to each other. If I wander, you come and help me. If you wander, I'm going to come and help you. Eternity's at stake here. This is my... My love for you. This is your love for me. Let's live this way, friends. You reaching out and strengthening them. Calling them up. Having coffee with them. Listening to them. Weeping with them. Opening the scriptures with them. Sharing God's promises with them. Praying for them. Praying with them. This is what we're called to do. Every week, every day, we should be thinking, who do I need to strengthen? Lord, who would you have me strengthen in the faith today? Peter, strengthen your brothers. Grace Church, strengthen each other's faith. When we're together as Christian friends, let's be strengthening each other's faith. When your family's together for dinner, let's be strengthening each other's faith. How's our faith today? What are some ways our faith has grown weak today? Let's encourage and strengthen each other. This is one of the reasons we have home groups. Oh, I want to encourage you to be part of a home group. One of the most important things we do in our home groups is to strengthen each other's faith. This last week in our home group, we broke up into men and women, and we, we shared in those groups, what's an area of your life in which your faith needs strengthening? And the sharing was beautiful and from the heart. And we were able to share God's word with each other, promises from God's word with each other, and encourage each other and pray for each other. And it was sweet and faith was strengthened as a result. That's what we do in our home groups. It's not the only thing we do, but it's probably the most important thing that we do. If you're not in a home group, let me encourage you to become part of a home group and to become part of that home group where you really are a part of it. That's the third truth. Jesus calls Simon. Jesus calls us to strengthen our brothers and sisters. 
Fourth truth. Simon must take sin and temptation seriously. Verses 33 to 34. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. What are you worried about, Jesus? I'm yours. I'm I'm totally all in. I'm dedicated. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. See, earlier when Jesus had said, your faith will not fail, and when you turn again, by saying when you turn again, Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, you're going to turn away, and you need to turn back. Peter, you're going to sin. That's what Jesus has told Peter. But Peter does not agree. No, Jesus. I'm not going to turn. He doesn't think he's going to turn from Christ. He's ready to go to prison and even die for Jesus, he says. But Peter's wrong. He's wrong. He's not taking his own sin, his own weakness, seriously enough. He's not taking Satan's temptations seriously enough. He thinks he's stronger than he really is. And that's one of the reasons he denied Christ. Not taking his own sin seriously enough. Not taking Satan's temptations Seriously enough, that's why he denied Christ, which left him devastated and in despair and overwhelmed with failure. Now, yes, Jesus had prayed, and his faith was not destroyed by those crushing feelings coming upon him. He did turn back to Christ and was restored, but oh, what that cost him, what it cost him. And we're like Peter, aren't we? I don't think any of us take our sins seriously enough or take Satan's temptations seriously enough. I know I need to work on that. So we, we dabble in sin, maybe. We, we watch things that are questionable. Spend less time in fellowship. We let our love for Christ become lukewarm. That's like playing with a rattlesnake. A rattlesnake's just an American thing. Okay, rattlesnakes are a poisonous snake in America. And you know, just this is from America. So that's like playing with a rattlesnake. You wouldn't play with a rattlesnake because rattlesnakes can kill you. So we shouldn't play with sin because sin can kill you. So don't dabble. Take your weakness, your sin, seriously. And take Satan and his temptations seriously. Don't be afraid. As you press into the Lord, as you trust him, he'll give you everything that you need. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Don't be afraid, but take it with the utmost seriousness. That's the fourth truth. Fifth truth. Last truth. The disciples must be ready spiritually. Verses 35 to 38. And he said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, Nothing. He said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. 
And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. Quote, and he was numbered with the transgressors, unquote. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Now, some parts of this passage are clear. Jesus is clearly telling them that things are going to change. Up to that point, he's been relatively popular. So that when the disciples went out preaching and healing, their needs were met by the, by the crowds, by people. But now, that's going to change. An Old Testament prophecy is going to be fulfilled from Isaiah 53 that Jesus is going to be seen as a transgressor. No more popularity. Crowds are going to say, crucify, crucify him. And Jesus' disciples are going to be counted as transgressors, therefore, as well. And so no longer will they be provided for. So from now on, they'll need to take their own money bags and knapsacks. That's clear. But what's not so clear is what Jesus means when he tells them to buy swords. Buy swords. So just, I'll tell you, I'm about 60% sure of what this means. Enough to tell you what I think, but uh, I think Jesus here is not talking literally about, you guys need some more swords. I think he's talking figuratively about being ready spiritually. And there, there's four reasons why I think that. And I just encourage you to do your own thinking about this and your own further study. Four reasons why I don't think Jesus is telling them to go out and buy swords. One reason. A few verses later, when one of the disciples pulls out a sword to defend Jesus while he's being arrested and cuts off the, the ear of the person there to arrest Jesus, remember that story? And Jesus says, enough of this. And he heals the man's ear. And in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, those who take the sword will perish by the sword. So Jesus is not encouraging them to use swords a few verses later. It seems doubtful that he would be encouraging them to buy swords here. That's one reason. Second reason, throughout the New Testament, every time believers are persecuted, they never respond with violence. Never. It's, it's really stunning. Read through the book of Acts. When they can escape persecution, they will. And when they can't escape persecution, they follow their master's example and they yield to what's coming, whether it's prison or death. It's amazing, which makes it very unlikely that Jesus is encouraging them to get more swords. Third reason, it's because of what Jesus taught. That's why they didn't resort to violence to avoid persecution. Jesus had said, do not resist the one who is evil, Matthew chapter 5, verse 39, and pray for those who persecute you, Matthew 5, verse 44. So Jesus' teachings, which are continued throughout the rest of the New Testament, they're echoed there. Last reason, fourth reason. In Romans 13, we do read that God has given the power of the sword to governments. So there is a place for the righteous use of the sword. So armed police forces, armed soldiers, protecting the defenseless. Those things are appropriate. 
They're affirmed. God does that. But the power of the sword is never given to the church. The church doesn't use the power of the sword. The church's weapons are prayer and tears and truth and love. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So it's for those reasons. When Jesus says to buy swords, I think he's talking figuratively. Uh, John Piper says, he puts it interestingly, he says that when Jesus, when they say that they have two swords, Jesus doesn't say, that's not enough. We need one, of, one for each of you. It's not his response. He says, it is enough. That is enough of this conversation. Enough of this. So I think the point is, be ready spiritually. Are you ready spiritually? Oh, let's not get complacent. Listen, do you understand how any of us could fall into the most horrifying sin tonight? Do you understand that about yourself? Any of us could. I could. You could. Oh, what we are capable of if we neglect the grace, the resources God has given to us. Don't get cocky and coast. It's dangerous out there. It's dangerous in here. We have indwelling sin. So we need to be ready spiritually. If you knew that a war was going to break out and you're going to be involved in it fighting, you'd get ready, wouldn't you? You'd get equipped. You'd get prepared. Get training. Well, a spiritual war has already broken out. It's broken out outside these walls. It's broken out inside these walls. It's broken out inside our own hearts, right? Do you feel the war? If you're not feeling the war, maybe you need to wake up. Maybe you're drifting. The, 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 the river of sin flows towards the destructive falls. And if you're not feeling the current, it's because you're going along with it, Right? We're all in the current of sin here, and we need to be swimming upstream. Then you'll feel the current against you. And Jesus will throw you a rope, too, and, and, and help pull you up, upstream. So here's some ways to be spiritually prepared. Devote yourself to prayer. Pray without ceasing. Father, strengthen me today. Father, protect me from Satan and from sin today. Father, make my conscience quick to respond when I'm being drawn away from you. Be devoted to prayer. Study and memorize God's word. The Bible is the sword of the Spirit. You want, you've got the Bible. Boom, you can destroy any temptation Satan brings against you with the sword of the Spirit. So study and memorize God's word. But if you only know one or two or three verses, I mean, your sword's going to be about, I mean, it's like, and it's just not going to be quite as good, friends. You want a big old sword. Wow! Learn, study, memorize God's word. It's powerful. Join a home group. Did I already say that tonight? I think I did. We can say it again and again. Home groups pray for each other. Home groups equip each other. 
Home groups strengthen each other. Home groups help each other battle. When you're facing a temptation you don't think you can overcome, you can call a sister, call a brother. They will be there to help you. Strengthen your brothers. We will do that for each other. And then finally, trust God's promises. Especially the promise that Jesus prays for you so your faith won't fail. So even when you stumble into sin, you can return. You will return. You must return. Confess. Repent. And Jesus will receive you with open arms. You will be welcomed. You'll be cleansed. You'll be forgiven. You'll be loved. You'll be restored. You'll be strengthened. And you'll be sent back into the battle. Freshly equipped. Five crucial truths to help us resist temptation. Grace Church, let's take them to heed. And this week, resist temptation by God's grace, through, by, through God's power, because Jesus is praying for us. Let's stand together. Father, I pray for any who are coasting tonight. Wake them up. I pray for any who have sinned and feel like they can't come back and be restored. Let them see the cross afresh right now and turn back right now to you with your open arms to receive them and forgive them and help them. And Lord, those who are battling temptations that are strong right now, encourage their hearts that you have prayed for them. Their faith will not fail. And Lord, by the power of your word through the Spirit, help them overcome that temptation. And Lord, let us strengthen our brothers, love each other, strengthen each other. We praise you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for praying for us. In Jesus' name, amen.